it wasn't that I loved flowers and definitely knew I wanted to go into this industry. It was that I wanted to find a business that could scale big and tick a couple boxes that I knew it would need to tick in order for it to be successful. And I wanted to have a big enough market share that I could, could take some market share. And so I kind of backtracked. I, I, you know, the goal was to start a successful business. You know, the industry was just one that I needed to find out where it fit. So here we had this dilemma, this this fact, this fact. This I've fact. been almost a decade, decade researching decade, this subject. Every aspect of your metabolic health improves. From the Hint offices in San Francisco, I'm Kara Golden, founder and CEO of Hint. You may have tried Hint Water before, but this is my podcast. Each week, we talk to some of the most creative entrepreneurs from world touring pop stars like Jay Sean to the people behind favorite Instagram accounts, including So Yummy, New York City, and even YouTubers like Sarah Dietschy. So the million dollar question, what does it really take to be unstoppable? Let's find out. everybody. It's Kara at Unstoppable, and I'm so excited we're here today with Christina Stemble from Farm Girl Flowers. Super, super excited to have you here. So Christina, in case uh, you guys are not familiar with Farm Girl Flowers, so founded here in San Francisco. Really, really excited to have her. I actually met Christina through a couple of different people, including one of our great investors, Sonia Perkins, but also she is part of a couple of tribes that I'm a part of, YPO, as well as the EY Winning Women Program, which is near and dear to my heart. So anyway, so welcome, Christina. I'm going to have her tell everybody a little bit about her. But first, I just want to get a little bit of background on Farm Girl Flowers first, and then we'll backtrack on sort of you. So yeah, 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 totally. So tell me a little bit about Farm Girl Flowers or tell our audience sort of what is it that you're doing at Farm Girl Flowers? Yeah, so um, I started Farm Girl Flowers back in 2010 from my dining room, my little apartment, uh, with this idea to disrupt the e-commerce flower space. So I wanted to do something better than what I thought was being done by, you know, the big guys you think of when you go online to place flower, a flower order um, to be delivered nationwide um, when you aren't close enough to a really cute flower shop in your neighborhood. Um, I wanted to do, give a better alternative to what was currently out there. So yes, yeah, so I, I started it in 2010 and here we are eight years later and we're still in San Francisco. Um, we ship nationwide and we have over hundred employees here um, in this wonderful city. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's so great. So tell me, so you started in your apartment. So tell me where you're from. How did you decide you were going to get into the flower business? Um, it wasn't the story that everybody thinks of and, and wants to hear a lot of times, to be honest. Uh, you know, the press likes to talk about how I, you know, like grew up frolicking in my grandmother's flower garden. And that wasn't the case. I grew up on a corn and soybean farm in Indiana, northern Indiana, little tiny town. And um, came out to San Francisco in 2000. Uh, I was in hotel management, um, hospitality management, and managed uh, general manager of a couple small hotels. And it was the dot-com number one, um, first time around here. And I kind of equate it to the same as like in LA, you know, how everybody has a headshot in their back pocket and they were waiting for the next, you know, the big thing, their big shot. Um, here in San Francisco, it seemed like everybody had a business plan in their back mm-hmm. pocket and everybody was very, it was an energy that was just contagious. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, got the bug and wanted to start a business. Uh, I don't have um, the typical background that a lot of people have that start businesses out here. 
Um, but I, so I knew that it would need to be a, a t- different type of business. Uh, but I would, you know, I was that person that would annoy everybody. Um, all of my friends and family every week, I would have four or five different business ideas. Every girl's night would turn into like a beta testing, you know, like, Hey, try these iron on pockets for women's suits. You know, it was like the gamut of different That's awesome. industries. So it wasn't that I, I loved flowers and, and definitely knew I wanted to go into this, this industry. It was that I wanted to find a business that could scale big and tick a couple boxes that I knew it would need to tick in order for it to be successful. And I wanted to have a big enough market share that I could, could take some market share. And so I kind of backtracked. I, I, you know, the goal is to start a successful business. You know, the industry was just one that I needed to find out where, which, where it fit. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. And so, so what year did this start? Uh, November, 2010. 2010. Okay. So you're, so take me back through the key highlights of the journey. So you're in your apartment, like what were the other businesses that you were thinking of at the time? Oh, all different. I mean, like the iron on pockets. Yeah. There was a web set of tools for event planners. Um, there was one that was similar to an Airbnb type model. So they came from hospitality, um, you know, an online place where people could get last minute hotel rooms. There was just everything. It was so many different business ideas that spanned, you know, 20 to 30 different industries. So a lot of them required would have required outside capital, which I knew with my background, there's no way I was going to be able to raise capital. And especially in 2010, it was still the downturn, you know, I hadn't bounced back yet. And so I knew I wouldn't be able to go and get outside capital. And a lot of the things like the web set of tools for event planners would have needed like $2 million to start. And I didn't have $2 million. So I had $49,000 in my bank account. And so when I came up with the idea for Farm Girl, I was working at Stanford University, which is ironic because um, I didn't go to college, but I, I worked there and one of the departments I oversaw did the events for the law school. And uh, it was just an idea I had out of, you know, going through the P&Ls during the downturn, all the parties' budgets were cut for, for events and noticing how much we were spending on flowers and decor for these events. And, How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip, Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. 
no English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. So then I went down the rabbit hole of research into the floral space and like why do flowers cost so much and, you know, learned why they cost so much and very quickly shifted from the event space to the e-com space because that was uh, the side of the business that was actually declining. And in 2010, hmm. e-com should not be declining in any industry if it's been being done right. Everything else was like growing exponentially every other industry. So um, I thought, why is it defining? It would remind me of all the times I would send my mom flowers in Indiana and I hated the whole process. I hated the product. I felt like I got ripped off. I spent hundred dollars on what looked like it was $8 from the grocery store. And so I thought, well, if this is a real problem for me, 
it's probably a real problem for a lot of other people and I'm not just creating a problem to try to solve like we tend to do sometimes. And so I, you know, came up with a business model that would truly do it differently than the other companies and thought, okay, well, let's see if this works. And I, you know, amazingly, it was one that I could start with $49,000, which I thought was a lot of money back then. Um, but it was one I did need outside capital to start. So you used your savings to start it. And like people constantly ask me this when I'm out speaking, like, like, did you max out your credit cards? Did you, were you able to, like, did you need any more capital than that? Or um, did I didn't you have a credit card? Yeah. I think I had one at work, but I didn't have like a personal credit card. Wow. I only ever used debit cards. I was taught, yeah. growing up in that farm environment, I was taught, if you don't have the money, don't spend it, which wow. really helped me in running yeah. the business. Because if we don't have the money, we don't spend it. Yeah. Um, so, but that also hurt me because I couldn't get big credit lines for a farm grill. I think my first card was $500 or $1,000 or something. Um, now it's much better, but I, Got down to $411 at one point um, in the, about a year and a half in. And I'd given myself as a goal two years to, to prove out if this concept would work or until I ran out of money. I didn't want to be that person that 10 years in is still trying to get to, you know, a million dollars or something like that. I wanted it to, you know, wanted to be able to grow pretty big quicker than that. And so, yeah, I just, you know, was really good with money and it was really careful. Um, it's still the biggest challenge that I had is not running out of money. We're still bootstrapped for over 20 million in revenue and it's hard to run That's a amazing. perishable product company in the most expensive city in the United States with over a hundred team members and not run out of money. So wait, you're not, you haven't taken any funding no, at all. $9,000 is the total amount. Okay. I thought for some reason, Broadway Angels had actually invested no, and no. you're just friends with Sonia. Yeah. 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 yeah that's what, um, that's, that's awesome. That's yeah. very, very cool. So how did you learn to, I mean, you've talked about this, you don't have any sort of formal education. How did you learn to scale a business without, you know, having, that education? Yeah, yeah, like the question is always, you know, people say like, how do you write a business plan? And like, you know, I get this a lot from kids that I'm talking to who are going to school and they are, uh, you know, asking me like, what classes would you take in order to learn how to run a business? And then there's you who's running a $20 million plus business that you didn't have any of that. So how do you think you like, where'd you get the resources to sort of like know how to do that? I'm a big believer in uh, the thought that education is very important, but how you get the education can be a myriad of different ways. Mm -hmm. So while I didn't go to college, I do consider myself very educated. There's really no excuse to not be educated. Now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, everything is at you know your fingertips and for free. Yeah, you, know, you can do online education. Yeah, you can, I yeah, totally. Classes on how to do. I, I self-taught in Excel. You know, now it's like one of my favorite things to do is do business models. You yeah. Know? So, but you can do that for twenty nine ninety nine on Linda. You know, and uh, not you know I, I started Farm Girl for far less than what a, an education would have cost me. That's you know, amazing. Fifty thousand dollars. So. I actually think that, you know, I would love it if we looked at other alternate ways of educating people as well and more um, more opportunities that are, are skilled where it's on, on the job training. Um, so I think I just am a very intellectually curious person. And I think that if there's something I need to know, I can go learn it. Um, there are a few things like brain surgery. I wouldn't want somebody operating on me without a lot of formalized education. But um, for most things, especially for starting a business, you can learn it yourself online. You don't even have to go to the library anymore. So do you have a physical store? Or yeah, we have yeah. a warehouse. Um, we have a 15,000 square foot warehouse in Petroville here. Have people asked you to open a store? Yeah, lots. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. It doesn't fit our model. Um, the, 
the reason that we work is because we aren't doing it the traditional way. And mm-hmm. I know that there's experiential uh, retail 2.0 that's going on. And I think that that's great for some industries. It doesn't work for flowers. I mean, of the 16,000 flower shops nationwide, they're going out of business at a very rapid pace because it does not work. Mm-hmm. Um, the overhead's too expensive. You have a perishable product that has about a three-day lifespan. So it's less than food. It is like now, if I knew then what I know now, I never would have started a perishable product company in, in the flower space. It's working and I'm very grateful for that. But it is the absolute hardest thing that you can do, in my opinion. Yeah. So, you know, having a storefront with three-day turnaround, you know, perishability, like everybody wants to do pop-up shops now. And I'm like, it's not a sweater that I can go resell if it doesn't sell at that pop-up shop. I have to throw it away. Yeah. No, totally. And can you like, so is there any way to, you know, flash freeze them or anything like that to get more of a, you know, shelf life of, I I have no idea. So um, we just launched our first preserved flower line. Um, So there's some new new techniques um, to get longer, um, their 12 month lifespan. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's things that you can do. I need to get some of those because I'm not good with like, yeah, 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 that would. It helps. And then you have 12 months. They don't look exact. I mean, they are real flowers, but they look like a mix between real and fake flowers because of the chemical process that they them through um so it's you know there's nothing like fresh flowers still in my opinion however there's some other alternatives that you know that work as well for your home that's awesome so do you think you would ever raise money or are you just not oh, really interested I pitched over 90 yeah so oh wow okay <laughs> yeah, yeah okay it's not for lack of trying yeah so i we don't pattern match and uh it i get it i get why um we're not a great investment for a lot of people in some respects. Um, you know, we have very you know, high perishability, low margins. It's a very low margin business. I mean, we can get to a billion dollars in revenue. We will never have software margins. We will never have sweater margins that you make in China and sell here. We will never have those margins. And for consumer goods right now, you need to have big margins. You need to make it elsewhere and then sell it here for way higher markups than what I can do. Yeah. Especially because what we do is we're making a design bouquet in-house thousands of times each day with people. Yeah. You know? And so it's, it's really hard what we do. And so, you know, I get why we're not, um, we're not super attractive, you know, I've hoped that there'd be people that might, um, have a different, you know, maybe a slower trajectory, not as quick of a turnaround, but you know, we, we're still talking to a few companies. Um, and it, it may happen. It may not. The great thing is we're not relying on it to stay in business. No, you're so we've been, you know, people ask me all the time we're profitable. I'm like, Duh. Like we yeah. can't be profitable. I wouldn't be around. Like, you don't what would you use the money for? What are like the key things that you, like, if you had, you know, a raise done, like, what would you use that? That Yeah. You... Uh, a team. So yeah. the, the number one reason why we I haven't been able to raise, um, besides, you know, our, our margins being smaller is that I don't have a team that looks like Silicon Valley. So I don't have a C-suite. I have an amazing team. I argue that I have the best team in the entire pair. Yeah. I have a team that cares more than any team I've ever worked with. And uh, they're amazing, but they look like a manufacturing mm-hmm. uh, facility team. They don't look like a great operations team, but they do not look like Silicon Valley with a C-suite. And so um, that looks different. It doesn't it doesn't garner trust among, you know, we don't have like a highly educated with all this experience at all these places, these tech companies that make VCs look at it as, oh, this is the people that we trust with our money. Um, so a team would be one though. It would be nice to have some help. I do mm-hmm. everything at about 20%, which is a failing grade in any curve, right? So from finance to marketing to all of the areas that I do. Um, and uh, so that would be a big, big part. Um, also just, we need to open up distribution centers. And right now it's too risky for me to put that much capital into something like that. Yeah. Um, and so to go to segment our shipping, bigger, yeah, we yeah. need to get closer to the end consumer. 
Um, we're shipping everything from San Francisco and we subsidize shipping to the tune of millions of dollars. So we've subsidized almost $4 million in shipping in the last three years. Um, so it's just, it's, that would be another thing to open distribution centers to be closer to the end consumer. Technology. So for an e-commerce company, we are the only company I know of that doesn't have a single person on the technology side in-house at all, and not even a project manager. So I do that as well. Um, and so the, the people for that, and then also better technology to support what we do. We have subscriptions, but there's no discount because our technology doesn't support it right now. So there's no reason to get people to buy more than once, which would help our LTV. You know, it's all, you know, all of these ripple effect yeah. um, for that. And then marketing. So, you know, 2017, I don't have the 18 numbers um, finalized yet, but we spent $2.84 per $70 average order value or $90, sorry, $90 average order value mm-hmm. on marketing. And one of our big competitors um, spent $20 per $70 AOV. So we are spending far less than all of our competitors. We spend about that's amazing percent on marketing and to have growth numbers that are about 60% year over year. You hit at a point though, when, you know, your company gets big enough though, that I think you start to attract, like there, you get some credibility. Like it, it sounds like, you know, you've talked to a bunch of people and, you know, haven't raised money, but I think you hit this, this, you hit this point where you start to get this credibility, like she's still there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like yeah. She's continuing to grow without you. I mean, we yeah. certainly went through that like mm-hmm. over the years. So don't give up on it yet. Like I think it will it end up happening happen. and you have to just keep yeah. talking, but it's great that the way that you're running the business, because I think you could get it big enough and you could have lots of names and helping people to really understand who this customer is that cares about this stuff. But um, anyway, I think that's, that's super interesting. So, you know, you talked about like, you're doing a lot of different things. I always say this to entrepreneurs, like, you know, even, you know, the size, I mean, our company is today, it's, you know, we're definitely at a point where like, you know, we have lots of different people. We have 140 people in the company now. And basically it's like, I mean, I know enough about lots of different areas to get me in trouble. And it sounds like that's kind of where you, you've you been as well, which is great as you start to add people to sort of run these things just to understand what you're, what each of these people that you're hiring are doing, whether it's SEO or whether it's like content or, you know, whatever it is along the way. So how do you stay motivated through, you know, like the, the long days? And, you know, I, I think there's also a saying you know, it's lonely at the top, right? Where you're sort of like, you know, trying to, I don't know, like how, how did, how do you do that? Like, how do you, what do you do to sort of like get your brain, like to keep going and wake up the next day and start again? That's a good question. Um, I'm not going to lie. There are times where I'm just like, what the heck? Am I yeah. Doing? Like, yeah. How many, how many years can I work 20 hours a day, every day, seven days a week, you know, without burning out. So there's a couple times a year that I, I get to that point and I just need to take a break, you know, and, and not, yeah. Um, and just it's totally true. Sleep yeah. For a day straight, yeah. you know, and, and there's that. I am a very self-motivated person, kind of um, like Will Smith, uh, his famous quote about uh, how he will not be outworked, like on the, he'll die on the treadmill. You know, like there may be people that are smarter and more talented and more funded. There are so many people that are more funded, even in our space that have started after us and look strikingly similar to us, which can be really, really infuriating and scary. But the one thing I come back to is even though I might not be the smartest and the most funded and whatever, I will not be at work. I just won't. And I get some flack for that because I've said that before. And especially women will say like, I don't think you should be promoting people like, you know, working 20 hours a day. And 
I disagree with that. Like, I, I think like I'm motivated myself because I know that if hard work can do it, yeah, I will do it. Yeah. You know? That's and awesome. So that's, that's how I stay motivated. Just, that's awesome. So, so do you, one thing that EY in that program that, that I, I think I heard for the first time actually in the winning women program was work outside of the business. And like, because you get so, at least that was a saying that I like picked up, you get so caught, right? Especially in the early days of founding a company, you're just constantly like, in the business. you know, you're, you're in it. Right. And so, and I found that it's always like this balance, like how much of the time should be, you be out of the business. I have, you know, entrepreneurs who say like, you know, how do you meet these people? Like what, what I was talking to an entrepreneur that I'm kind of mentoring, the other day. And, and she was saying the same thing that she's in the hotel industry. She's trying to like launch something. And she said like, she's got very high level contacts, but it's actually people that are actually doing what she needs done. Like within these hotels, she just finds like, they're not responsive. Like, how do you do that? And I'm like, look, that happens in every single, that is the typical story of a founder. Like for me, it's like, you know, I can have high level contacts at Whole Foods, but then I still got to deal with the guy that's stocking the shelves at Whole Foods, right? And figure out like, how do I get him to do stuff that like he doesn't necessarily want to do, but he, you have to figure out ways to like get them motivated in order to do it, whether it's show them that the business model makes sense or, or whatever along the way. So can you think of any example of sort of a time when you felt like, you really had to make that happen. I mean, you've got a lot of people, like you said, who are, you know, not necessarily your typical C-suite in Silicon Valley workers. Like what, I mean, what do you think they think of like when you're, you know, in there sort of working with them to do things? Does that make sense? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of my team members here. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. What they think, because I'm actually in the business yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I hear that a lot too about the like, you need to work on it and not in the business and through it to me yeah. too. And, um, my mentor there and the person that was for my program was saying that a lot to me. And I understand that. Yeah. And also I think that that's a luxury that some people just don't have. So if you are bootstrapped and you don't have a lot of money, you can't hire people. And so you have to be in the business because there's literally no one else to make the bouquets, you know, until you're like four and a half, I was still making bouquets. I had a quota every single day on the floor, you yeah. know, maybe five years in next week for Valentine's day, I will be on the floor with a quota, like in every holiday, every manager is. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Like everybody is boxing or making bouquets and, you know, Kat is with me here. Your manager will, I think she's on plants next week. Like, so, every so everyone's person, doing it. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's doing it. And I think that that shows the entire team that no one's above anything. Like, you know, I'm usually on the floor. We have a hundred temps next week that will be there. They will have no idea that I'm the CEO and founder of the company. They'll just be right next to me boxing or I'm on single stems. I'll be making a lot of bouquets, single stem bouquets and things. And I think that's really important for the entire team to see that you're there with them. You're not asking them to do something. And to your point on, I know enough to get myself in trouble. I also know like how fast things should be because I've done it. You know, I know it's actually helpful in the business as well. I think that there are times though, when to your point on, you have to work on the business that I, I start to feel out of control when I haven't had any time to work on the business. Yeah. I've been into the business. And I know that that probably rubs off on my team when I feel really stressed out. Energy is very transferable and it stresses out your team when they see you're stressed out. Um, I think one of those times actually was the beginning of this year. Um, you know, money is always super tight around, you know, after Christmas and the new year and money was really tight. And I was, whenever money's tight is when I'm stressed out yeah. the most. And 
I also usually at the beginning of January, I go and do a work patient, a one week long work on, you know, get my financial model revised for the year, work on, you know, what my objectives are going to be for that year, what we're going to work on it, you know, as a team, get all of my thoughts and collected. And I didn't get a chance to do that this year. And that was really stressful for me because I, I feel like I'm constantly catching up. And so I know I need to prioritize that after Valentine's Day to get some time to do that. Um, so I think that it's doing the right things when you know, like, I can feel it from my heart rate, like when I'm, when I'm yeah. not working on the business and I'm working in the business, because it means that we're not going to hit our growth numbers this year that I need to hit. We're not going to hit that 60% this year unless I can work on the business. So, um, and then I do work patient. So the best years that we've had are when I've been able to go away for at least twice during the mm-hmm. year for one week at a time. And uh, I get more done in those weeks than I get done in probably a quarter. Um, when I'm that's awesome. Operation. And so I think that's, re- that's worked for me. Um, I have a group from EY actually that I'm going um, on a very small three-day workcation uh, with at the end of February, which I think will be really great for us. Oh, that's awesome. And we did it last year as well, and that was really helpful. Um, so I think it's it's that. it's You do what you can. Um, it would have been more ideal if I had done that earlier in January, but then again, I didn't have the time because I needed yeah. to be in the operation. Yeah. So. so you are working outside of the business, though, too. I mean, yeah. that's like definitely like meeting these people from EY. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. that's super awesome. So uh, so sourced in the U.S. Uh, we're not all anymore. No, you're. Yeah, yeah, you guys were all sourced. sourced. Yeah. So, what's the difference between flowers outside of the U.S. versus, like, what do you think is the key? To be really transparent. Yeah. Here, um, it's not a popular answer. Yeah. It has been life changing for us. Like, we would probably not be in business. I would have closed down the business if we didn't source from outside uh, of the U.S. Not only because cannabis, which, like. You know, the industry is trying to keep that really hush-hush. Mm-hmm. The cannabis is completely changing the landscape of floral agriculture in the United States. Interesting. Yes. You can make so much more money growing cannabis or just leasing out your, your greenhouses for cannabis production. Wow. Than you ever could. To the tune of like $1.50 a square foot versus 5 to $0.10 cents a square foot. Wow. I mean, it's huge. The difference is huge. And I can't say anything yeah. bad about that. If they can make money doing that, make money doing that. Like that's, you know, that's their business. But even before that, um, most of the U.S. growers that we work with, there's some amazing ones. Um, and then there's a lot that just aren't amazing. They, you know, we, in 2016, we received 26% of our confirmed orders. You can't run a business on 26% of your confirmed no. orders. No. And it has a ripple effect that dramatically affects your businesses, our business negatively, yeah. where we have to then buy from wholesalers their entire inventory, which has 30% higher price and then we have to change the recipe so every line we have a different recipe which isn't good for operational you know labor costs and yeah there's just ripple effects that you don't even think about um when you're just like you know you ordered seven thousand stems of something and they send you 70 you know yeah. so it, it it wasn't sustainable for us to do that and the international farms that we work with are run much more like businesses it's not a second or third generation farm that's right there yeah. And they need it to eat. Yeah. And the people in the United States, most of the farmers are second or third generation. They don't need it to eat. You yeah. know? Their land alone is worth so many, you know, especially in California, um, so much more than what. So it's not necessarily working. more difficult to deal with internationally either. It's so much better. Yeah. We received 98% of our confirmed. That's amazing. For 26%. That's so great. The other thing is, and I'm just And they're beautiful. Here. I'm Thank staring you. at one okay. right now. It's absolutely gorgeous. Amazing Hanoi ranocula in the United States. So it, we wouldn't be able to get the varieties that we get now as well. That is so gorgeous. Also, the very large um, U.S. growers, several of them will not work with me. And it's 100% because I'm a woman. 
Interesting. Very much a good old boys network. And I was fighting with them and begging them to sell to me. And we are a very good customer. We pay our bills. We don't ask for terms. We pay them right away every week. We're a great customer to work with. Um, That's what we're known for from the international farms is we're the customer that pays their bills. Um, So it was infuriating. And finally, I had to come to a point where I was like, why am I fighting so hard for an industry that doesn't even want to sell to me? Yeah. That's crazy. I'm basically the definition of insanity right now. So let's not be insane. Let's move on. Well, it's in, I mean, it's an interesting thing. You can sit there and you can talk about like they're not selling to you because you're a woman, but they can also, but it's also, I don't know. I also think like it could be because you're small and there's these large companies where they have like, too. you know. It's not that though. I can yeah. be really clear because those startups, the yeah. tech guys that started after us, I'm not yeah. names, yeah. legally I'll get in trouble. Yeah. Um, they were all selling to them 100%. They were much smaller than us. Interesting. The only difference is that they're male owned and they had funding. That's the only difference. But they were much smaller than us revenue wise, buying wise, and they were selling to them. And I have the emails to prove it that they were crazy. So when they were telling me that they just don't sell to small retail businesses like us, they only sell to big wholesalers. I went and got my wholesale license. So I'm like, okay, now I'm a wholesaler and I buy twice as much as this wholesaler. That's crazy. That you sell to. So I was like going around every hurdle. I'm like, oh, you only sell wholesale, get a wholesale license. Oh, you don't sell the, the small ones? Okay, I'll guarantee that I'm going to buy a million dollars from you this year. You yeah. Know, that type of thing. And then when I found out that they were selling to the newer male-owned startups, flower startups, that were then, smaller in revenue than us. But had a funding from money. somebody. The only two differences is funding and their gender, and that's it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Who does that funding like have connections with too? And I, and you know, I think it's like, but I think it's, it's an interesting thing because I don't know what the number is in your business or in your category, but I'm a big believer that at some point when you keep growing that people will like, whether it's, you know, finance people or suppliers or whatever, they're going to turn around and they're going to be like, wait, she's still there. Like she's still there. She's continuing to grow, you know, and you know, you'll start hearing, and she hasn't even raised any money, like versus, yeah, I'm sure, you know, and, and I think it's, um, I thought when we hit 10 million, that would be the case. And it was, and then we had a whole nother discussion with a lot of people. And then we hit 20, you know, same thing. And then one day we'll be at a hundred in a couple of years and then we'll be at 200 and we'll still be here. Yeah. We definitely will still be here. Have you ever run into a woman, Elaine Rubin along the way? She used to be at 1-800-Flowers. You guys should definitely meet. So she's she's amazing. She's a very good friend of mine, but also has just been a mentor on a lot of fronts. So she does a lot of e-commerce. She works with a lot of private equity guys now, but she also just is like this e-commerce guru. She actually was the founder of shop.org. Um, do you know shop.org? Anyway, so I was part of the founding group. There were 10 of us that sort of co-founded it with her, but it was really her idea to start shop.org. So she ended up selling off the national retail federation and, you know, she sort of like makes like guest appearances back there every once in a while, um, just cause she's so awesome. But anyway, she could be really interesting for you guys. Like she's, yeah, she's amazing. And I think she does some seed investing, but also, yeah, like she's, it's, it's pretty amazing. So anyway, so I think I know this, but, but I want to hear from you. Like what makes you unstoppable? I mean, I think the tenacity definitely I'm, I'm like hearing this and scrappiness and like willing to just like, you're going to get this thing done. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. And so, but I'd love to hear kind of like what for our yeah. listeners who are thinking about starting a business and like, what can they learn from you? 
I think um, it's resilience, really. I mean, it's uh, last year was probably the most challenging year. Not probably. It definitely was the most challenging year uh, for Farm Girl Flowers uh, and for me. And uh, it was, you know, get through one major issue, unforeseen mm-hmm. issue. Um, and then before I'm even done with one, there'd be another like big, bigger, like one that seemed even more insurmountable. And I'd just be like, I, I, how many more of these can I take? You know, mm-hmm. how many more can we, can I keep bouncing back from? And, but I think that's the, the key. It's just when you get pushed down, just getting back up, mm-hmm. like just get back up. And so I think the thing that makes me unstoppable is that I just get back up. It's yeah. nothing like, that's awesome. You know, there's no like glow halo around my head or like, you know, superpowers. It's just getting back up. Yeah. Which I I love. It's great. Well, this has been so much fun, Christina. Thank you so much for coming by. And where can people find Farm Girl, Farm Girl Flowers? It's um, so. online at www.farmgirlflowers.com. Um, we ship anywhere in the continental United States, uh, next day air. Um, so just check us out there in Valentine's Day next week. Yeah. It's super, super, super exciting. So, and Mother's Day is around the corner and Easter and lots of other uh, events coming up. Very, very exciting. So, well, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks. If you like what you heard, please help spread the word and leave us a review. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Please talk to me at Kara Golden on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, be unstoppable. Unstoppable. unstoppable.